please stand as you are able and be attentive to the reading of the Holy Scripture, the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. The Transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them high up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My poem this morning comes from a book named Unraveling by Brandon Leak, who I'd never heard of until Wednesday evening when this book was given to me by Richard. I've spent a good portion of this week reading the poems in this book. They have touched my heart in ways that I can't even express. This poem is entitled, Mutuality. God, this world is crazy. Witnessing all the things that go on, I can understand why some folks don't believe in you. Knowing you so powerful, but yet choose to let it be. I understand that some can't see how this love must be a choice, or it becomes bonded in the worst sense. But yo, God, this place is crazy. I live in a nation that prostituted your gospel for the sake of their own empirical gain. I live in a nation where folk who came to claim to serve you try to justify the murder of folk who look like me, then look at me and wonder why I question what they see. I live in a world that substituted your naturally We wonder why we feel so disconnected. I love our frequency. Just sometimes I get tired of the decisions made for my sake. Temperatures are rising. Kingdoms are falling. Humanity thinks of itself so highly. The world is disarray, which I know to you is nothing new. And I'm writing this poem, starting to understand. You are not distant, not far. 
not aloof. Waiting, waiting your creation choose come back to you. So I have to tell you, the Transfiguration is not my favorite passage in the church calendar to have to preach. Transfiguration for me has always been a little like, woo, and a little bit of like, so they were going to build houses for people on top of a mountain just because they're supposed to be holy people. And how did they recognize Moses and Elijah anyway? I mean, who told them who was there? Could have been just any old schmo, right? They didn't have pictures. So it's always been troubling to me that that was the passage that they choose to put in the lectionary year after year after year, right before Lent. Kind of drives me crazy. And usually I'll find something else to preach. I've often been known to take this Sunday off, let somebody else do it. You learn that time. <laughs> But I've been reading this book called Forging a New Path, and this is by Rebecca Simon Peter, and I love her name. That um, was about its subtitle is Moving the Church Forward in a Post Pandemic World. And what I found interesting in reading this book is that it constantly is talking about transformation. And when I started thinking about transfiguration and transformation, Formation, I realized that transfiguration is external. What the disciples saw on the top of that mountain was something happened to Jesus' appearance. But transformation is inside. And I think what has happened to churches is that we keep thinking if we do some transfiguration, everything is going to be fine. We'll change, like we'll take all the pews out and put chairs in, and that'll make all the difference in the world. The church is going to fill up because people don't have to sit in a pew. Or we will change our music, and we're not going to use the organ. We're only going to use banjos and kazoo, and that'll bring people. You know, people will like that, right? So those are external changes. And if I hear one more time, when are we going to get back to normal, I would invite you to tell me, when was normal? When were you normal? When has church ever been normal? Thank God for admitting that. <laughs> Nor have I. I've not been normal one day in my life. But in reading this book, this was something that really struck me. Churches know they can't go back to 2019. What they believe, though, is that they can bring 2019 back to life in 2023. The same events are going back on the calendar. The same worship service is being brought forward the same worries about decreasing membership and financial struggles are approached from the exact same perspective. Oops. 
she goes on to explain that when the bubonic plague decimated Europe over 300 years, because the bubonic plague didn't just last a short period of time, they didn't have vaccines and whatnot, it took them a long time to figure out that it was fleas that caused the bubonic a long time. But she brings up the point that out of the bubonic plague, what happened afterward? What was the result? What changed? It was the Protestant Reformation. I didn't know that. I was kind of surprised. I mean, I think I knew it, but I didn't know it. And the Renaissance came after that as well. The Roaring Twenties happened after the flu pandemic of 1918. The next era of innovation, called the Roaring 2020, is unfolding before us even now. So my question for you, as good people of the church, is do you want to be transfigured and only change the outside, or do you want to be transformed and change the inside? Change who you are as the people of God. Who do you want to be? Now, Norm and I are having these meetings, and I'll tell you, we had a meeting yesterday that was amazing. First of all, we walked into the room, sat down, and I've got my list of questions, and we're all set to start firing the questions, and we get handed a four-page document that they have already discussed all this and written it all down. Hot diggity dog. I've never seen a group do that. I was very impressed. But in talking, there were a number of changes that people were thinking about that were very much transfigured changes. External things. But the internal things were the ones that really caught my eye. That they'd love to see Wesley get more involved in housing for the homeless. They're more like to see them more involved in the immigration issues surrounding people in our community. There's serious thought being put to what makes us church. So I see potential in being transformed into something important for the community, for the church, for us here. And we still can do like the Titanic move, you know, just move the deck chairs around and hope that that's going to make the difference, that nothing's going to sink. But we need to think about the fact that the church is in the process of huge change. Relevance is a huge issue for us. The things that happened during the pandemic may have made us aware of changes in the church. But I'm here to tell you folks that the problems that you are experiencing, that you keep bringing up, 
increasing our Sunday school, getting the youth involved? What do we do about decreasing attendance? What do we do about an aging population of people in worship? Those were things that were around in 2015, 2017, 2010. Those were issues that the church was facing at that time. I'd be willing to bet that our pastors sitting in intimidation row dealt with those particular issues when they were in ministry. That it isn't something that happened to us two or three years ago. This has been going on for a long time. And church is incredibly slow in making change. Incredibly slow. Because this is the one place that each and every one of you gets a voice. You don't want to change because change is hard. We don't want to change because change might upset the apple cart. Something might not feel comfortable. But when I look at the children, they change all the time. These kids that sit here are very connected to technology in ways that we aren't. And I know for a fact that my 15-year-old granddaughter can teach me things about how to use my phone that baffle me. And if she has to teach me one more time how to do a screenshot, she says she's going to clap. But it's so difficult for us to wrap our brains around change. And yet things are changing so fast now. And one of the comments was made by the group that we met with yesterday. The question was, where do you see Wesley in five years or in 10 years? And they said, because of the rate of change, we're looking at three to five years rather than five years. That was very insightful. We need to start listening to one another more. We need to look at Scripture and seek out those places in Scripture where we're told, don't change. Stay exactly the same. Because I've looked and I can't find those places. Jesus told us we have to change. We have to. We can't rely on the old systems to continue working forever and ever. Amen. We have got to move forward. Unfortunately for the church, if you're not moving forward, you are moving back. There is no such thing as holding the line staying still, not doing anything, and hoping that it works. It won't. We need to be looking forward and moving in that. Not looking forward and saying, mm -mm, can't do it. When I came here, I told you that you need to look at yourself the way you really are, you need to see yourself as you are today, 
not the way you were 40 years ago. And I remember using the example, because I use it frequently, that I go through that every single morning when I look at myself in the mirror. I say, who is that old lady? Because what I carry in my head is someone who is 30 pounds lighter and 30 years younger. And you're doing the same thing with the church. You look at the church and you see it the way it was, not the way it is or the way it could be. So I ask you to spend some time praying on that. Think about it. Ponder it. Wonder. And adopt saying that I heard some years ago at a conference in Nashville. I noticed and I wonder. I spend an awful lot of time noticing and wondering. And I pass that off because you have got to make the decision of where you go from here. And comfort is not a priority. Let us think about where we are where we want to be.